in the saddle again. I am, as always, your host for the See For Yourself podcast, Benjamin A. Weil, and I am joined here by... Lavi. Lavi. I appreciate you showing up. We are recording a uh, an episode for a movie that I, I really enjoy. The name of the movie for today is Ginger Snaps. It is a 2000 film, and the blurb for it reads as follows. This is the story of two outcast sisters in a mindless suburban town. One night, one of the sisters is brutally attacked, and the other sister has to save her sister and herself. So originally, based off just the name alone, I was thinking like of a redhead oh, okay. called Ginger or something like that on so, a regular basis. So did you think that, the, that it would be the name Ginger would be used for one of the sisters or that Ginger would just be describing her hair? Uh, both. And I wouldn't think that it would be like a, a birth name, but it would be like a, a nickname. It's like, oh, come here, Ginger Snaps, or just sweet child nickname. But now I'm thinking it's like an animal or something like that a creature attacking them that may be of the ginger variety oh okay i'm interested to know what animals you can think of that are of the ginger variety like cats dogs okay like a fox oh okay see a fox a wild angry fox assaults i don't know man (laughs) they're in you said the wilderness the woods or well so it's it's said that they're in suburban a mindless suburban city yeah a dog or a cat Can you think of any stories that take place in suburbia and, like, how stories can sometimes use suburbia as, like, a metaphor for something else? What what kind of metaphors do you think that, like, suburban living can kind of, like, attach to easily? That people outside of suburban living are crazy and wild and would just go out of their way to attack you? Anybody who doesn't fit into the suburban life is just wrong. So a lot of, like, that sort of privileged idea of, like, Mm. we're living the right way and anyone living in a different sort of lifestyle is inherently wrong or bad or animalistic. Mm-hmm. I know uh, South Park had that ginger kid episode. Sure. Uh, which goes back to the like ginger being a ginger snapping, which would be a, a nice play on the word. They had that whole episode where like the ginger kids were absolutely terrifying and creepy and everyone hated them. And that also goes back to like being an outsider in social norms. Are you excited to watch a movie uh, with two female leads? Oh, yeah. That's, that's pretty exciting, yeah. right? Yeah, we don't get that a lot. Can you think of any other movies with two two female leads at the at the front of it? Uh, the newer Black Widow movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Really struggling here, right? I'm just, yeah. No, yeah. I have a tough time with this question as well, because, I mean, there's a there's a continuing trend of Hollywood choosing not to have female leads, like, at all, really. Uh, bridesmaids? Uh, do you think we're going to get gypped out of any of that? A lot of times they'll present the movie as if it has, like, female characters front and center, and then somewhere along the way they'll be like, nah, nah, the men now. <laughs> no, I don't think so with this, because the, the way the blurb for it, uh, it seems like this is something that since... The one sister is getting attacked and the main sister is going to be fighting. I feel like there's going to be men who are just going to be useless in this, where they're going to be like, oh, I'll, I'll run and get help. And then they just take off running and then they like trip and knock themselves out. And Sure. Some wishful thinking from you on this. This is, so horror movies are pretty bad about yeah. this, where they consistently have, like certainly a final girl can be a thing that happens, but very rarely do we get like, no, the, the girl is the whole movie. She is just throwing down hard and, and her sister is also, you know, a Thing. can you uh is there going to be a white savior character we get a lot of white saviors in movies like this 
They might do that. Or we get we get the guy that just comes along and is like, yeah, I'm the white dude and I know what I'm doing here. Can we get a situation <laughs> maybe where like the, the suburban living lifestyle sort of helps the girls and it's it's not a, uh, it doesn't make them weaker, but instead makes them stronger as like survivors or, or people who are capable of fighting back against a creature or a, a, a bad thing. I feel like they would have the better advantage generally knowing the neighborhood, even though it all looks the same, there are the like little differences that they someone living in it would pick up on because like her lawn isn't the same as everyone else's it's got this weird gnome and then i feel like they'd be able to use that to their advantage either fighting off whatever creature that they are uh, being attacked or running from or getting away in general and being able to hide i feel like that would be more advantageous knowing how stuff in suburbia works for all i know they could trick the creature into sticking a fork in a socket it doesn't know. <laughs> like, oh my God. I think it's interesting that you've you've sort of latched onto this theory of like creature feature. It's got a it's got a creature in it instead of like well you know there have been plenty of movies where like so let's say the main character lady her name is Ginger you know and she has some brutal thing happen to her that causes her to go on sort of a, a killing rampage of like just a psychosis kind of thing like she's just you know snapped and now her sister has to try to bring her sister back from the brink. And also protect herself from her sister. Oh no, I didn't think about that. I'm just I'm, I'm just pitching ideas here. Oh god. Oh you, god. You were pretty sure about yeah. that there's some sort of there's a fox just running around <laughs> biting people, making everyone angry. I'm still I'm still sticking by my like animal creature thing. Because I feel like that's equally a thing that they do a lot in horror movies where it is some creature attacking this quote normal life. Sure, yeah. Uh, creature features, that I mean it's a it's a common term for a reason yeah. it does come up a lot yeah i just i just want to keep you on your toes here you know can't, can't have you getting too uh too comfortable <laughs> <laughs> what are what are the girls like tell me about tell me about what you like what you assume about these women being sisters and mm-hmm. having a sister and watching sister movies mm-hmm. or movies with sisters they're gonna be polar fucking opposites sure. it's gonna be absolute like One's a straight edge, probably the girl that is being attacked is like straight edge, good girl, like straight A's, always has everything told to her. And the one that saves her is the like, I'm going to go start a punk band with my boyfriend and smoking cigarettes and is the younger sibling. What age are the girls? Mid to late high school age. So like 16, 17. 16, 17, maybe 18 could be like in the transitioning period before high school to college. And that would also be able to give the chance of highlighting the differences in the siblings. What are some of their hobbies? What do they like to do? One would probably be into cheerleading. Sure. I want to say band. I don't know why band. Not like rock band, but like school band. Uh, And the other one is into band as like rock band, metal band, maybe comic books. I feel like you watched that movie Metal Lords and you were like, I just want the cool version of Metal Lords. (laughs) The better version. I feel like they're, the one girl is going to be the better version of Metal Lords, and then the other is going to be the complete opposite. Because you were you were pretty disappointed with that movie Metal Lords, and uh, and I know that it's it's sort of one of those things where people come onto this show and they kind of want to like correct mistakes that they've seen in movies in the past. And I'm not asking you to do that, but it does feel a little bit like that's what you're doing here. But also knowing uh, a lot of sibling, specifically sister shows and movies, they tend to do that a lot where the siblings are completely polar opposite and it's like to a drastic point. Like, sure. uh, and usually with how media depicts metalheads and 
rock musicians in general. It's an easy opposite to the good girl. I just realized this as uh, as you were talking about it, but uh, the sisters are twins? I don't think they're twins. You don't think they're twins? I don't think they're twins. I think the uh, good one is the older sibling. Okay, so we're going to have one that's like 18 and one that's like 16? Yeah. Okay, so. I would say two years apart-ish. Two years sounds good to you, okay. I don't. I didn't mean to put that on you. Oh, no, you're good. Okay. You've, you've designated this movie as a creature feature, and the only creature you've really been able to give me is dog, cat, or fox. Or wolf. I don't know. It could be a made-up creature. Why not? So what are some made-up creatures that you know from creature features of, of, of yesteryear that you, you can think of and that might be being used in this movie? Sasquatch? Sasquatch. Okay. That's a good one. He's scary. He'd beat the hell out of somebody. I'm trying to think of like ones that would be specifically like a reddish color and skinwalkers in general. Uh, like a Wendigo be... or like a... Like a Wendigo. Because they could be... They can be whatever color they want. I wouldn't say Wendigo. I think... Skinwalker specifically because they are two different things. There's something interesting uh, about using a Wendigo as the villain for a couple of characters who are coming up in suburbia. Mm-hmm. There could be something there. Either of those would be great for some as a counter to suburbia because that is strictly a wild kind of creature or folklore. Why can't we get... And I'm not saying this is what it is, as again, I'm in the position of power here. I've seen the movie and you have not. But uh, why can't we get the creature from the Black Lagoon back? Come on. I wish. That was, I was cool. Going, I was going to say that, but I'm like, I don't think he's ginger. Well, he could be. Why not? Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> shit. But like, I don't know why, but when I think ginger and specifically referring to someone as ginger or a ginger color, mm-hmm. I think specifically fur or hair, not as something like scales or anything like that. I mm-hmm. think specifically it's got to be a creature with fur that is just how i feel on it so i don't think it would be creature of the black lagoon solely because he doesn't have fur look i just want scary fishmen that's all i I would love scary fishmen scary fishmen's great you know i mean we have like the invisible man frankenstein dracula these are all very good kind of options here vampire movies were were really big back then you know just vampires in general i I think would be an option here Uh, and i i do love a good vampire slayer and it's for whatever reason and i don't know why this became a popular thing probably strictly because of buffy the vampire slayer but we do love putting women in the role of killing vampires yeah, um, I think it's mainly Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, and vampires can certainly be gingers. It's an option. Uh, I yeah. know that uh, the the Van Helsing movie... I was, I was going to say that Van Helsing had a, a beautiful redhead vampire. They loved her. Mm-hmm. She was like idol growing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think we all felt that way. <laughs> we all we all looked to her for strength and support when, you know, when we needed it. I, I, <laughs> I feel like... Oh, uh, God. It could be like... A classmate that they picked on for being ginger. And she's really like a vampire. That could also be a thing. Uh, this does go counter to your point that this will be a good female empowerment movie. And uh, it would be kind of shitty for our main lead females to just be picking on dudes. Well, or like if it's a female character that they're picking on. Uh, much like... Uh, does that make it better? It doesn't make it better at all. And I feel like it would be... It would actually help to the plot that I was thinking that like the older good girl sister is getting attacked uh, and the younger quote bad girl sister is going to help because typically um the good girl is like mean and kind of a preppy bully and not like outright being a bully but just like saying like talking about her not just like shoving her in the locker room just like down my way nerd but just like she's 
so not pretty with her red hair. She's a ginger. What a loser. And then she becomes the shapeshifter. And, yeah. you know, I, I do think that for whatever reason, we get shapeshifters a lot more in cartoons or in television series than we do in movies for some reason. I don't know why. I think because it's a lot easier to draw someone transitioning or draw different characters than it is to either hire different actors or do makeup differently for different characters. And I'm not saying that like animation is super easy. I think it's less work that other people have to do, whereas like it's more just the few people who are animating that like particular scene. Yeah, trying to create the effect that looks good on camera mm -hmm. versus uh, doing it uh, just like in a, in a drawing sense is a lot easier, I imagine. And of course, television shows are usually lower budget, so they I think there's a degree of expectation amongst viewers where it's like, well, if I'm watching Smallville, I'm kind of expecting the villain to not have the greatest effects possible, and him transforming from one body to a different is just him walking off camera and then walking back on camera as clearly a different person. Speaking of transforming and stuff like that, I'm mad and I remembered it just now that I forgot a movie with two female leads that was like pretty good women empowerment kind of thing. Uh, Jennifer's Bodies. Mm -hmm, that's a good one. And it does have that like transformation of her going from... From not to hot? Well, I mean, she was always hot, but going from a regular person to becoming a succubus. Well, so it, within the narrative of the movie, the movie's very clearly trying to argue she was unattractive before the transformation. Is it? Yeah, it Because does. like she was known as the hot girl in it and it was like they talked about how it's like weird that they're friends because she is the hot girl mm. i don't know maybe i'm misremembering Are you talking it's, about it's jennifer possible. or the other one no uh i as i understood it jennifer was the uh, the the sort of the ugly girl and her friend was also considered an ugly girl and mind you both of these are very attractive actresses but like the narrative of the film was that they were both you know ugly ugly girls ugly ducklings maybe i'm misremembering and i should rewatch it it's very possible i remember, I remember it being a a thing that they talked about where it was like weird that they were friends still there that could have been after the transformation they're saying like it's weird that no, you're still I, friends with that it was girl. before i specifically remember it before on the note of bullying it is this is like a weird place in like politically correct movie discussion is it more or less appropriate if we're going to show a female character bullying someone to have them bully them physically or bully them uh, verbally it's kind of a tricky one yeah because i mean it, it should be shown either way because uh, both are important to establish as bullying as a whole so i don't think one is less appropriate than the other but i feel like in this at this point in our history i feel like bullying would only be classified as the physical bullying act and like less as the mental mental and emotional kind of abuse that bullies do. I feel like they would still show it. So one of the good examples of this in probably more recent history is uh, Flash Thompson in the uh, Spider-Man movies with uh, Tom... Not, not Tom uh, McGuire. <laughs> Tom, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. With Tom Holland. The Tom Holland Spider-Man movies and the character who plays Flash Thompson almost never lays hands on Peter, but he does consistently sort of verbally yeah. and emotionally bully him. And I do think that most people do view Flash Thompson as a bully. Mm -hmm. He is bullying Peter, and certainly Peter sort of gets his uh, comeuppance on him. I do I do still think people tend to classify bullying as bullying, even if it is just emotional or just uh, verbal. But I feel like for a while it was not as taken seriously if it was just emotional. It was like, oh, you just need to grow a thicker skin. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me kind of argument. Yeah, I think that's kind of old world looking, or old world view on and it. I'm pretty sure you mentioned when the movie came out, but I don't remember. 2000. I feel like that is still in that old world looking because sure. I certainly grew up with that like being drilled into my head of the sticks and stones. 
I don't know if I mentioned this, but the movie is a Canadian film. It is not an American film. And they're like, what, 30 years behind us? Yeah, <laughs> so I don't know exactly where the Canadians stand on that. Maybe, you know, you saying, hey, her outfit doesn't look as good as other people's outfits could be the worst insult of all time. Whereas in America, you're like, yeah, her outfit doesn't look that good. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. And like, nobody bats nobody an eye at that. Yeah. <laughs> everyone ignores it. You'd have to be like, well, her mother's poor and ugly. And that's why her outfit looks so trashy, is that her family is generally trashy, and uh, that's probably passed down to her. And then it becomes like a viable, like, bullying case. <laughs> Damn, they insulted her whole family. <laughs> I'm a big supporter of showing female characters bullying people physically. Mm -hmm. uh, because it does happen in real life, and it should be shown as a possibility, because uh, I know that in a lot of instances, men don't feel good about coming forward, about having anything bad happen to them coming from a woman. And if we show it in movies more often, maybe they'll be like, no, this is a, this is a real thing. This really does happen. I saw it in that cool new uh, movie by that See For Yourself podcast guy whose name changes every episode. That guy made that cool movie about bullying and it was the ladies doing the bullying on the guys and that was really neat of him because now I can talk about it and not feel so ashamed. And I, and I think, you know, we should we should work towards that as, as filmmakers, you know, trying to make things that really do happen seem more normal just because they seem strange. Because you know, it, it is very important to normalize. Normalize in the sense of making it known that it is normal and it is okay to feel like that versus like, yeah, it's okay for you to do. Um, yeah, she's a woman. She can't hurt yeah. you with her physical punching. Normalizing it in a, a way to allow people to be able to talk about stuff yeah, yeah. Um, and not just feel like deeply ashamed for no reason. So just to recap on your thoughts on what this movie is going to be about, we've got these two sisters, one of which is a little bit older and the other one's a little bit younger. The older sister is going to be a goody two-shoes and the younger sister is going to be a little bit more grunge, a little bit rough and tumble, a little, little alternative. The one sister is going to get attacked by some sort of shape-shifting creature uh, and the other sister is... shape-shifting. Okay. I think it's just going to be a regular old creature. But we do want the, the creature to have ginger hair. Yes. We want that. Hair or fur. Or fur, sure. Sort of splitting hairs at this point. <laughs> And then the, the younger sister is going to have to, you know, sort of use her suburban know-how to help her more straight-laced sister out of this conundrum. You've, you've talked about maybe possibly a bullying situation and, and maybe the character who's being bullied turns out to be the creature. I do like the idea of like sort of having an entire high school of potential people that can be horrifying monsters. Sort of sets up for a sequel pretty well. Is this movie going to get a sequel, do you think? I don't think so. No, no sequel for um, this movie. I feel like it, it's set up pretty well for a sequel, but they just don't do a sequel because either there wasn't enough return in the movie when it initially came out, or they're just like, no, we just wanted to make one movie. Like, all these extra stuff was just extra stuff. This is an early 2000s movie, and early 2000s movies didn't really go like, we're gonna have a whole franchise surrounded yeah. around ginger snaps. Oh, yeah. Lord have mercy. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't want to make any uh, guesses that this this movie was just about cookies, and somehow there's some sort of cookie monster. <laughs> I fucked up. We gotta restart. I would love to see a ginger snap monster that's just like I'm made out of cinnamon. It's just like a the like the Pizza the Hut, but it's ginger snap <laughs> cookie dough. <laughs> just chasing. They never say the word it. cookie monster, but they're like they're like I'm a some sort of it's a baker. monster of cookies. <laughs> it's a bakery beast, you know. Like, <laughs> I think that could be really fucking fun, and you didn't give it a single thought. I I thought of ginger snaps. The cookie in my head, I was like, yeah, ginger snaps are really good. But that was as far as that thought went. <laughs> I was like, and then you're like, like there's going to be some kind of a monster in this movie. But at no point were you like, cookie monster is funny. Oh, damn, there's a cool connection. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, that is not the case. Unfortunately, the movie does God not have a kick-ass cookie monster. <laughs> I was hoping you were, you were on to something. <laughs> and by on to something, just telling me what it was. <laughs> 
But we'll we'll call it here. We'll go ahead and jump into the movie. <laughs> I, have a, I have a big soft spot in my heart for this movie, and it gives me a lot of hope as a filmmaker that this movie did as well as it did, because it did do really well, and it ended up getting two sequels that I'm aware oh of. Oh my god! What an idiot you are! <laughs> Well, I also haven't seen the movie, so... No, how, how poorly you've, you've judged this movie that did nothing wrong! <laughs> the, only, the only mistake this movie made was not having some sort of bakery beast inside of it. <laughs> finishing the movie i know there are a lot of things to be said let's just jump right on into it i was so wrong i was very wrong there were a small handful of things you were less (laughs) than correct about the only thing that i really got right was that they were sisters and not twins well you said that they'd be going to school they were school aged Mm -hmm. and that was correct yeah Yeah. Yeah. and you said later in in high school as opposed to earlier and that's uh, pretty close yeah um was it is it i think that's their middle of the road because yeah I mean, later is like 17 I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give it to you i'm willing to give it i'm to not you. willing to give it to myself fair enough what did you think about the movie overall though you know other than your wrongness it was a wild ride i enjoyed it and i loved it but boy was i not ready that was a lot more suicidal than i thought it was going to be a lot more suicidal so I think the, the their willingness to cover that feeling that a lot of teenagers have where they're like, I don't want to live anymore. I don't see the reason in continuing living. That was a very brave choice, especially in, you know, 2000. And they weren't uh, particularly jokey about it, uh, aside from in the sort of like, you know, black comedy macabre kind of way, mm-hmm. which I think that a lot of people who do, you know, have those feelings in, in high school sort of feel similarly about it. Um, they they kind of cover both sides of the spectrum where one person's like, we're just doing this as sort of an aesthetic and not really as like a legitimate thing we're thinking about doing. And the other person's like, nah, this is, we either get out by 16 or we kill ourselves. Yeah. We promised this mm-hmm. when we were eight. And I think that that's kind of the dichotomy of that feeling for a lot of people. I'm not saying it's the totality of it, but I think that that's sort of the common, mm-hmm. the common two that you come across where one person's like, no, we're definitely killing ourselves and the other person's like no we're just kind of doing this as like a teen angst kind of thing like what are you talking about i was completely wrong on the one being like straight edge good girl both of them were the alternative they were the weirdos the outcasts some of the most interesting character designs probably mm-hmm. ever. This movie is incredibly brave in that regard. And the way that they design the girls and the way that they portray them as legitimate in their in themselves and in their viewpoints. I don't know. I really I really loved the character design for the girls. I did too. It like the dark spooky aspect. I, I generally enjoy. Um they had like cool bird skull necklaces the entire movie. That's pretty dope. And like weird skull slash teeth slash other jewelries like rings and stuff like that that they just regularly wore they had the drip man yeah they, they passed the fit check <laughs> <laughs> i overall really liked their their characters until the the transforming and ginger was just like this is just how it is i'm a bitch now <laughs> like... <laughs> there are a lot of people who feel that way though especially i think it it does such a good job of, I know you said this while you were watching, you were like, I don't like it when people make the comparison between werewolves and women on their period. You know, I, I don't like that comparison. But I can't think of another piece of media that covers it so well, so like perfectly, that, that makes that metaphorical comparison so succinctly. When I had said it, I said that I don't like that they're doing that. 
I don't remember really many movies doing it. I also don't watch a whole lot, so I'm not really like, yeah, I know this movie from whenever it did it, but I just don't like the comparison ever that like getting your period for the first time is such a dramatic and horrifying and evil transformation that you're just evil and now a monster. Uh, I don't like that sentiment most of the time because it just perpetuates the idea of, because even done satirically that like how I think the movie is doing it there's times where people aren't going to get it and it's going to further that it's like yeah see women are monsters there are a lot of times when horror movies are trying to make a connection between things where people don't get it at all Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand that at least in the European tradition vampires are supposed to be a critique of how rich people treat poor people Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't know that they don't like piece it together see that I'm I'm saying that without like giving all of my best points for it but uh I, I do think that there are plenty of people who just watch this movie as like oh it's you know a girl going on her period and becoming a werewolf and they're two separate things and they're not supposed to be put together at the same time i think that those people are not paying attention mm-hmm. i think that you're yeah. very right i think the movie wants us to say being a werewolf and being a woman on your period are the same thing whether that is like satirical and like talking about the the aspect that most people or most specifically men, feel about women versus uh, them just actually like, no, 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 man, like, we think this. I feel like it's more satirical in that that aspect. I do think that the movie, on the note of is this from a man's gaze or is this from a woman's gaze, I think the movie is more from a woman's gaze. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically the gaze is from Bridget's point of view. Her feeling that her sister going through her period is now separating them completely. You're doing things that we don't do and that I don't approve of and that you normally wouldn't approve of going out with boys and doing drugs all these different things you know that's not who we are and you're doing this as a result of this new change you're going through Mm -hmm. um i think that that is a feeling that a lot of like siblings who are close to each other feel once the other one is going through puberty whether it be man and woman or woman and woman or man and man whatever the combination you want to stick together is when one party goes through puberty and the other hasn't yet it does feel pretty alienating. Yeah. Uh, I remember when my older brother went through puberty and uh, I had not yet. Mind you, I'm still uncertain if I've gone through puberty yet. Like, I'm not 100% on that. <laughs> but it did feel like there was a lot of alienation between us and a lot of, like, animosity from him to, on to me, you know? And even after I'd gone through puberty, it still felt like I was the person who hadn't gone through puberty yet, even though I had already done it. As the, the older sibling, uh, I can completely see that that view because like my sister and i kind of had that like weirdness around the same time that bridget and uh ginger ginger had the titular character yeah exactly the titular character which they they bring up her wreck multiple times and that is super talking about the male gaze and they're like yeah this is what the guys want on that note though as far as the movie goes on on male gaze we only get to see Ginger's rack one time. And that's when she's already become a werewolf and it's disgusting to look yeah, at it. Yeah. <laughs> that is a werewolf titty. We, we see the silhouette and the shape from like her revealing clothes that she starts wearing mm. when she does transform or when she begins the process of transforming. But the only time we actually see it is when she is fully transformed and she's got like eight nipples. and Oh, and, and then, well, I guess technically it's two times if you want to count the extra nipples. I yeah. just meant, I just meant yeah. the, the legitimate boob. In that uh, the scene where Bridget has already sort of killed her, you get to see a werewolf titty. (laughs) Which I thought was really cool, because like normally when there's like a female character who transforms into a monster, they just make it into like... A sexy... Well, well, so when they they become like a monster, not Mm -hmm. like sexy lady version of a monster, like like diet monster. I'm talking like full-blown, they become the Hulk or whatever. 
Not like She-Hulk. No, they're like the Hulk. They turn them into a male presenting version of the monster. Yeah. Right? So instead of her having like a, a lady's breast, she has a man's breast, which is like, you know, flatter typically and more muscular. And square. Yeah. yeah and, and, and her boob was a lady's boob. Yeah. And I thought that was really fucking cool. And I, I think that it kind of counters the idea of, like, uh, certainly there's a degree of this movie that plays with the male gaze. But I as far it... as, like, playing with the viewer's male gaze, I think that the movie is uninterested in whether or not I'm a man watching the yeah. movie or if I'm a woman watching the movie. I, I don't think it cares about appealing to the male gaze. I feel like this movie is more of a female gaze kind of movie. But with the, the male gaze, they specifically just talk about it and they're mm-hmm. like, this is what happens. And not like a, let's show you how it's done. This is happening. Which I, I appreciate and I really like that. I'm really mad that I was mad about the... The name Ginger. You're mad that you were wrong about that? Yeah. Because I, I specifically said that it wasn't going to be given at birth name. Mm-hmm. No, that, that was her given at birth name. And I also thought it was going to be for a ginger colored animal. And that werewolf was not ginger colored at all. No, it was that, that cool like pale white kind of albino yeah. sort of uh, color, which I think is really cool. I don't think it's like a particularly compelling design for a werewolf, but I think it's at least interesting and unique in a way. Mm-hmm. And we don't get a whole lot of that. And it's it's also like it added to the creepiness because the like little bits of fur that it did have were like a whitish blonde that really like blended in with the skin and just made it look like it was all just a skin creature. Yeah, like a, which, like a naked werewolf. Yeah, exactly. It looked absolutely terrifying. And if I saw that thing coming at me ever, I would I would just like accept my fate. I did like how uh, how much length they went through in the film to disillusion us from the hollywood idea of what kills a werewolf yeah they're like yeah no but but at the same time i do think they they took a few too many steps they were like so normally the rule is three right we want Mm. three examples of why this isn't like a normal hollywood werewolf but they gave us way more than that yeah maybe three like physical examples and maybe three verbal examples but i didn't need six Yeah, like. they noted it pretty early, like, when Ginger and Bridget were initially talking about her being, like, a werewolf and everything. She was like, what are you gonna do, use silver bullets? That car stopped the other one pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they did it again later when Bridget was talking to the drug dealer guy. Sam. I forgot his name, because all I was thinking was, oh no, the White Knight character. <laughs> I remembered Sam's name specifically because when when Bridget was explaining why they were getting into fights with that one girl, whose name I have forgotten, she specifically says, Jason liked us more. And she doesn't say Sam like because Sam was the reason they were getting Mm -hmm. into the fight. So she doesn't throw Sam under the bus. And I like that. Like She clearly doesn't give a fuck about Jason. Fuck that Jason guy. But she didn't want to throw Sam under the bus because she likes him and, you know, he's obviously helping them with the the lycanthropy issue. They said it again when they were talking to him. He specifically like, well, several bullets don't really need those because my car did a good job and it was almost word for word what they had already said and it's like okay movie we get it he also while telling her it would be a good idea to like use silver on her maybe it would cleanse the blood and whatnot he also says this isn't the hollywood stuff he's exclaiming that like we're not going to go with the hollywood methods of curing lycanthropy also here's some silver it cleanses blood maybe Uh, (laughs) let's give her a belly button piercing yeah, I don't think he ever suggests yeah, the know. belly button piercing, yeah, but he but does I... give her the ring maybe as like a cool token of like, oh, this is a nice thought. I don't know what he thought she was going to do with the ring. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The scene's a little weird and it, and it does, you're right, it does bring it up way too many times. Yeah. Were there any visuals you really liked? I liked the, the slow transformation of Ginger. 
When where, she's in the back of the car? Well, not even not even when she's in the back. Throughout okay. the, the like movie where she like she gets a little nub of a tail and then she gets more than a nub and they're like having to tape it down and then her eyes are getting more like animalistically pointed and sharper. Her teeth are growing, her canines specifically are growing. I remember that um, one scene where uh on the note of like the, her various small transformations across the film, which I, I agree, super fucking cool. And the number of times you get to see the tail. Oh, oh. my god. And it like there's that one scene when she's locked in the bathroom where it's just wiggling mm-hmm. and it's like that's weird and creepy. But I, like I loved it seeing the tail really so good. many times. I loved it. I thought that I, I don't know. I remember thinking cuz cuz I'm watching the movie again and I'm so there's some parts of it that I've forgotten and the tail was one of them. I I had remembered as soon as you see her like looking at her underwear in the middle of the night with her with her flashlight, I remembered, oh yeah, that's right, she grows a tail. And I thought that the scene where she pulls the underwear down and sees the little nub of a tail, that that was it. No, they keep they, they keep, keep bringing, bringing it, up. it up. And I love that. I love that they were willing to do that. And it was like, because there's some practical effects that when you use them, you don't want to use them over and over again because people will be like, well, that looked totally fake. And I got to see it more than two or three times. And I know that it's fake because I got to see it so many times. At no point was I like, that's a fake looking tail. I thought, yeah, if you had a shitty prehensile tail that just barely worked because it's still growing in, that's what it would look like. Uh, I also liked that they slowly worked in because her hair was graying throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. It was like, just like little patches that you would see in probably uh, the most like it looks good yeah it looks nice very stylish um and it it was great to see her transformation as uh looking kind of cool and like her hair and facial features and everything just looked more badass versus what was it jason Mm -hmm. the guy that was turning for a little bit yeah uh his transformation he's like getting acne horrible acne he looks way worse a lot less graceful a lot less graceful yeah i liked that her transformation was like she's getting long pointed nails which are like fairly pretty still Mm -hmm. and she's still shaving whereas he's just like i grew a fucking tail (laughs) he ate his own dog instead of a dog that he already kind of hated anyway yeah i didn't like the way that they treated jason as far as like you know just trying to be respectful to how the transformation looked on one character versus another i feel like they were kind of mean to jason in that way but i think that jason kind of earned it for being like yeah douche yeah a, um, a douche from the start like as yeah. the first moment you see him he's like oh can we see more pictures of ginger and then continuing it onto the, the like football field i think it's um, a it's field hockey yeah right? either yeah. way it's a field onto the field where um he's catcalling he's girls. catcalling yeah. girls and then specifically is like mm, ginger has a nice set of wrecks the entire like Mm -hmm. scene every time it cuts back to them he's just talking about how hot ginger is it was crazy to me how much sexualization ginger got and how zero sexualization bridget got because to me of the two actresses and keep in mind these are actresses who are uh i believe uh ginger's actress at the time was 18 or 19 and uh bridget's actress at the time was 23 or give or give or take one Mm -hmm. i think that the actress for for bridget for me is more attractive just on my personal tastes but i know that when you're in high school you know you don't really have an understanding of your own personal tastes it's also uh in high school it just mega mommy milkers and that's the only Mm -hmm. physical attraction that you really need well yeah uh, a lot of guys at that time are you know they're interested in proving to other guys that they're a they're a man they're a man's man they're capable. The only sexual identifier that is like actively visible on a woman that you can like point to, and especially at the time in, in the year 2000, this was pre yeah. anybody being like, I'm going to sexualize the ass now. 
Yeah. That had not been happening at the time. And I'm, I'm not saying that the first time the ass was sexualized was when Nicki Minaj became a musical artist. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in the year 2000, that was not the popular thing. So the popular thing was, as far as like easily identifiable physical sexual attributes... It was boobs, and I think that that's what they're playing into there. But I just, I just, I thought, I thought Bridget was gorgeous the entire film, and I thought that her acting was really good too. The faces that she would oh, make yeah. during were like... so she was a really good actress. I really liked both of their their acting. I feel like it was easier sometimes for uh, Ginger because Ginger didn't really have to feel a whole lot, and so she got that point across of like I just murdered this man. What of it? Very well. Yeah. Um, Whereas Bridget's like her her expressions are supposed to be like what the fuck is actually happening oh my god yeah and i think uh, that that's probably a better i don't know I, I, it's hard to say because both of them are like pretty one-dimensional expressions right mm-hmm. they're you kind of just look and go oh, or you look and you go i actually liked this so both of them are pretty straightforward but I, I i guess i just liked bridget's performance better and i felt like there were a lot of like more nuanced emotions that she was conveying and the idea of like trying to show the audience that i'm disgusted by my sister's actions but i also want to save her yeah. versus like i am exploring a new side of myself that i don't fully understand and i'm offended by people not being cool with it question mark mm-hmm. i think i think bridget's side of that coin is a little bit more interesting for me to see in an actor. I would also like to point out that there, I was wrong in the, uh, there is a white knight because Sam's character is technically that. He does ultimately help try to save them instead of like the two girls figuring it out on their own. Yeah. uh, Like I had originally hoped for. But also he wasn't because he was only in there for like the couple times and it felt like more like Bridget was using him as a white knight. Well, so a lot of the ending is sort of predicated on the idea that Sam is the only person who can make that antidote. Yeah. But it seemed pretty easy as we were watching him mm-hmm. make it in the in the closet. He's just kind of slapping together three or four ingredients and going mm-hmm. okie dokie. Yeah. So. It, and it's not three or four. It is just alcohol and the, the monk's, monk's, monk's hood. Yeah. And then heating that up in a like little crack spoon. A little- a little crack spoon, yeah. <laughs> as uh, much as this movie was like, drugs are bad, it sure had a couple scenes that looked like people were making drugs. <laughs> yeah. That entire process was just like, yeah, they're making black tar heroin and getting it ready to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing they're not chewing, showing is tying off the vein. Mm-hmm. But they are still injecting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I liked how um, like all the werewolves are shown like killing dogs, basically. Yeah. And then Jason is shown like attacking a kid in a puppy dog <laughs> costume. Puppy dog. Yeah, <laughs> but like just hearing the "Please get off me," get, and then seeing like this this kid in a, a dog costume, I'm like, I mean, that's that's how they slowly switch into people uh, versus like Bridget, who's like, he pissed me off because <laughs> you locked me in the bathroom. Oh, you mean Ginger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ginger. Yeah. Sorry. I'm coming up with this fan theory right now. This is my fan theory. That little boy in the dog costume is actually the Dean from Community. <laughs> uh, he's specifically wearing a Dalmatian costume. And if you've ever watched Community from season one until the end of Community, the Dean is kind of shown slowly like getting more interested in men wearing Dalmatian costumes as like a sexual fetish of his. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> he had a He had a, a strange experience with a grown man while he was in a Dalmatian costume and he's like you know what this is kind of awakening something in me <laughs> oh, man. but uh, i liked the transition i didn't like seeing how many dead dogs there were oh god so many dead dogs. so many 
I think that they thought that, I don't know how much this movie cared about like things like the MPAA or anything like that. I don't have any of the statistics for that in front of me. I think that they thought maybe they could get away with more showing dogs being victimized than humans being victimized. Because there are a lot less humans being brutalized than, than dogs in this movie. It's it feels really, like. it's really just three, I think. No, four, because including Sam. Because so, it's the one girl, and then it's the guidance counselor. The old, and the the old, old janitor. Guy, which, so upsetting. Yes, very uh, upsetting. And then Sam. I cannot believe that the uh, the teacher, or the guidance counselor, I guess he's both, yeah. made an assignment that kids could do something like, we're just going to show ourselves killing ourselves over and over again. And then when students showed something like that, and obviously it's very shocking, you weren't expecting that, you didn't plan for that. And instead of saying, like, this is a really cool use of your creativity to find a way to, like, present something to me that's going to be very shocking and that I wasn't expecting, obviously we need to talk about this because there's a lot here. Yeah. But, like, I can tell you guys put a lot of work into this, and it doesn't seem like either of you came into class hurt or anything, so you didn't do any of this for real. So genuinely, I don't see the issue here. Um, Versus like how he actually was. Yeah, he basically. Like, I I can't believe you did this. See me in my office later. I can't believe this. I would tell those girls like, hey, you have a future career in like special effects. Mm-hmm. I would genuinely start looking into that if I were you. I don't know who took the photos for this. If it was you guys or somebody else, I don't know who did all the like the blood effects. I don't know who like made it look. There's a girl hanging in this one. And like the one where she's laying through the fence. And yeah. The one with the uh, the, the pitchfork pitch through, through the, the neck. neck. Yeah, God. Those were both really well done. And as a teacher, you should be like super supportive and excited for that because that is really good skill at such an early age. Yeah. Like, how many hours did it take them to get so good at this? Yeah. I don't imagine this was, like, their first time attempting it. So they've been doing this for God knows how many years. And this is their first time, presumably, presenting this in front of an audience and saying, hey, look at all the hard work we've done. And this guy's just like, fucking gross. I was I was proud of the people in the, the classroom that just clapped. Yeah. You know, you suggested that they might be clapping because it's over. But I, I felt as if it was genuine. I didn't suggest it. I was just joking. Oh, okay. Uh, I was like, they're clapping because it's over. <laughs> that is wild to see though uh, yeah like, just just like show up for i don't even know what the prompt was and somebody did an entire presentation where they were just killing themselves wild equally i would probably clap too because that's stunning work i forget um if the credits came before or after they made it clear no i think the credits came after they made it clear that the girls were pretending to kill themselves and not really mm-hmm. killing themselves so that's probably a good idea to like reveal to the audience hey we're not actually making a movie about girls killing themselves they're practical effects enthusiasts. They're I doing think this. the credits were coming during the, the like pictures, but yeah. it was like they showed the one picture with credits, and then they continued to show more pictures with credits. Well, I do remember. I thought that was really cool. By the way, I thought it was really really cool to transition the opening credits from we're going to show a bunch of images of the various shots that these girls put together of killing themselves. But just before that, they showed her falling through the fence, or not falling, through, having fallen through the fence, and then uh, Bridget taking a picture of it, and then they started rolling credits mm-hmm. after that, and then that transition into the classroom scene and that was so fucking cool yeah that's like probably some of the best like credit transition into actual film ever because it informs you of everything that the kids in the classroom had just watched these are Mm -hmm. all of the different pictures they just saw that's fucking cool it was very abrupt for us Mm -hmm. because we we haven't seen it so i'm imagining it would be the same kind of feeling for those kids because i don't think anyone else i don't know again what the project was or how it could be interpreted into a slideshow presentation of girls killing themselves. If we had to make a guess, it could be something like, make a project about tragic deaths. 
And they were just like, oh, okay, yeah. And they're thinking like Martin Luther King Jr. Or like, you know, Amelia Earhart died and that was pretty tragic. You know, like historical figures, basically. Mm-hmm. This could be a history class. And they were just like, well, what if we did one on ourselves tragically dying? And how would we do that? Well, we have this pact where we're... It, it could be a lot more cringy where the opening part of this presentation is, me and my sister have this pact where we will kill ourselves at 16 if we don't do do do. And everyone's just sitting there like... Yeah. <laughs> so we don't get to see that part of it. <laughs> Well, we get to feel that part yeah. because oh, God. The, it happens directly after they're talking about the pack. Um, I'm glad they only really bring it up twice in the movie. Yeah. Because they only really bring it up in the right beginning, at the beginning and, and right, right at, the at the end. end. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it really ties in really well at the end because because they don't bring it up. Yes. And it's something that like the sisters are kind of having like a little moment arguing kind of but not actually arguing in the beginning and then at the end it's like a I thought we were sisters the kill ourselves together kind of sisters. What happened to that? Which which I think plays into the argument against Sam being a white knight because and I'm not saying you know you're wrong or anything but I, I do think there are some people who would argue that he's not like the white savior of the film and that there's an argument that the girls kind of get it done on their own. When he does try to intervene at the end there, he immediately does. He he fucked it up. Yeah. He um, fucked it up and Bridget says, no, I already planned for this. My plan was I would convince her emotionally to like trust me and go home with me. And then when we got home, I would use the rest of the antidote that I have to, you know, which is counter to my argument that Sam is sort of presented as the only person who can make the antidote because it seems like she's saying that I can get her home, make the antidote myself, and then put it into her. I think ultimately it was a satirical take on being a white knight, on him specifically being a white knight because he is shown to be valuable and whatnot um, and they make it seem like he's the only one that can make this this antidote and everything but like the girls don't care ginger really does not give a shit and the only reason why bridget keeps going back initially is because she she doesn't know what to do with the with her sister and he seems to have some sort of answers and it's first silver and then the the flowers which only bloom in spring um that they can't get a hold of then she finds some and he's like she's like hey what do we do with this now that we have some I love that they they got the answer from a craft store. Yeah. Like her mom's like, she's like, where did you get this? And she's like, I got it from a craft store. The unsung hero of this film is Michael's, basically. Um, I do like that they do kind of show him as a white knight, but it's like not a needed white knight, and yeah. it's just him trying to white knight. It's good to see him fucking up because yeah. you know it feels like the girls kind of stumble a couple of times in their their attempts to you know solve this problem, and it's good to see everybody kind of fucking up here and there, yeah. and specifically not to have any one character have all the answers. That's always good, I think, especially in these kinds of movies where it's like, I'm just an everyday girl and my sister's becoming a werewolf and I don't know what to do. It's good to show everybody equally not really knowing what to do. I think even giving Sam the ability to like, well, I'll just mix some stuff together and that'll make the antidote. That feels inappropriate to me. It should be something that like, I don't know, is shown more as like a struggle for them. You know, they have to like try it out on They They try talking about it like it's a a struggle. Sure, Um, yeah. Because he's specifically like, we don't even know what to do with the dosage we don't know how how to actually make this we're kind of just guesstimating but that is still Um, him reserving some of the power for himself like i'm i'm telling you that these are problems that we have to consider instead of it being like made clear like oh dang you know he's like hey why don't you give me some of your blood and i can test it on this or you know maybe she even presents the idea bridget could say how about i get you some of the werewolf's blood and you can test it maybe that's where he gets the idea that it's not bridget who because he kind of whips that out on her he's like it's ginger right ginger's the one with the problem not you though i think after the interaction with ginger she has huge teeth now all of a sudden 
And she's uh, she's acting a lot more aggressively. And, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was kind of like, at that moment, I think he pieced together. It's like, oh, yeah, it's really ginger. But it would be nice to have, like, a, a, a little bit more sound of a reason or a scene mm. that would indicate, like, when she's like, yeah, why don't we, why don't I just give you some of the werewolf's blood and you can test this antidote on it? And he's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. I hadn't thought of that. Um, Yeah, let me just get it out of you. And she's like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I, I want to go home and get the blood. And yeah. he's like, um, okay. And that would indicate to us as an audience that he's becoming more suspicious that she's even the one that has as the lycanthropy. And I'd, I'd like that. I, I think that would be cool. And it would give Bridget some involvement in the actual chemistry slash uh, biology stuff. Whereas, you know, originally she's basically just like, what about biology? And he's like, yes, I'm a master biologist. I will consider that now. <laughs> I hate that it was like, he's seen as the chemist because he's a drug dealer. Oh uh, yeah, that is unattractive. I do like how he's kind of a no-nonsense drug dealer, though. Yeah. Like, when these kids are coming around and smoking pot in his van, he's like, get the fuck out. And then when these kids are coming around, they're like, oh, hey, you have marijuana here? Smoke us up! And he's like, no, no, I'm doing this as a business. I need to make money. Yeah. Whenever somebody comes snooping around my van, I say, hey, an eighth is $50. I don't say, hey, would you like an eighth for free? Like, like so many different drug dealers that are shown on TV and whatnot. Uh-huh. They're just like, yeah, I'll just give you some for free. They're running a business. They need to be kind of cutthroat, kind of no-nonsense, kind of trying to make that money. How did they make two more movies? I would really love to do the other two movies for this, because I haven't seen the third movie, but I have seen the second one, and I really really like these movies for me i love them so much because there's so much courage from the filmmakers like whoever's writing these whoever's directing these a lot of really cool decisions that are being made here and certainly none of them are perfect we're not trying to say that every single one of them is like you know the exact best ever but it's it warms my heart to see these films can get made and they can do well and they can be loved and that's why i love these movies and ginger snaps 2 does a lot of that yeah so we follow bridget for ginger snaps 2 and what happens to her following this there's a lot of really cool stuff stuff that happens in Ginger Snaps 2. I fucking love that movie. And I have not seen Ginger Snaps 3. Ginger Snaps Back. In case you're wondering what the title of the third one is. I love everything about that. Ginger Snaps Back. Ginger Snaps Back at the beginning, I believe is the full title. So they're going backwards in time? Question mark? I don't know. I think it's more like it might be going back to the first one and Ginger's not actually dead. I think that um, what it is is they set it in like Transylvania 1600s time. Um, (laughs) Why not? Why not? Yeah. The degree of bravery that is on display here in filmmaking. I and, love it. And I'm, again, we're not saying it's perfect, but boy, is it fun. How would you describe this movie? Just simple, easy peasy, lemon sleazy adjectives here. Classic high school creature feature. I would never use the word classic here. There's a lot of nuance. Yeah. There's a yeah, lot of stuff is. that, like, if you came up around that time, you get it. Mm-hmm. But if you were like, like, if I show this movie to my grandmother, she'd be like, why are the girls suicidal? I don't understand. <laughs> What's the, what do they got that's so bad? Whereas anyone else who uh, was growing up in 2000 is like, <laughs> I get it. Anyone born in the 80s or 90s is going to say, yep, that makes sense. Fucking same. <laughs> so classic feels a little inappropriate, but like... I feel like I say classic because it's, for me, is a classic. Growing up in that time, it's like, yeah, I get that. I think that... The movie's kind of really emotional at the end and really dark. It is. Dark and emotional. Uh, it's not a happy ending. No. It doesn't give you any answers, really. Ginger is dead. Yeah. And you have no idea what happens to um, Bridget. Bridget. yeah. Or Sam. It, it certainly seems like Sam is dead. 
at least as far as the movie tries to portray those kinds of things. You know, Bridget especially is kind of left up in the air. Does she cure her lycanthropy? Does she... Also the mom. The last time you see the mom is her getting out of the van. Let's just do a highlight of all the characters who didn't get enough justice in this movie. Like, but the mom is specifically going after her daughters in the the party. So it could be safe to assume that eventually when she doesn't, when she realizes that her daughters are no longer there, she's going to head home because that's where she thinks they are Mm -hmm. or hopes they are. Um, And she's going to find that and be real confused, which would be a nice setup to a second movie. But I don't like that they just left her there and that was the last time we actually saw the mom. It feels like they forgot about her. Especially after the mom had literally just said, I'm ride or die. Yeah. Like The, the mom literally said like, it's okay. I'll fake her all of our deaths and we can fucking start over new. Who cares? Who cares? I'm going to do this for you guys. I don't oh. like how she wanted to ditch her husband because I did like Henry a lot. I, I liked I Henry. Henry. He oh. was cool. He was down to earth. Yeah. I do think that the way that the movie's trying to portray Henry is that he's female phobic. He doesn't want to talk about menstruation. You know, he thinks that stuff's gross. Don't talk about it at the dinner table. And he's kind of just like that bumbling idiot. But he does have some cutting remarks where he's like, you know, something's wrong with the girls. And they're like, you don't understand. And then he turns to his wife and says, well, when did they start listening to what you have to say? And I'm like, fucking get her, Henry. Fucking, fucking relentless. But also it can be read uh, very easily as like he understands the girls a lot better than the mom does. Especially like with the menstruation talk at the table. Him saying that was like after they were like, come on, moms, stop talking about it. They were already showing that they were upset. And he's like, yeah, we're having dinner. We're having dinner. And it seemed like he got the, the girls a lot better than. Uh, yeah, there are. I, I, I could see both sides of it and I'm not 100 percent sure. But I liked Henry and especially after that line of like, yeah. when did they start listening? Listening to you. to you, yeah. Fucking lay that bitch out, get her. <laughs> like the girls are acting kind of weird. I think they're up to something. You just don't get it. They're just taking my advice. When the fuck did they start listening to you? Oh. <laughs> do it. The the language in this movie, a lot of it is really like coarse language. They say fuck so many times, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And cunt. Yeah. They say cunt a lot. For that's a... that's how high schoolers talk. Yeah. Exactly. That is legitimately... If you're 15 or 16, I promise you you're going to say fucking cunt and shit and ass. I'm going to do it. A lot. Yeah. It's just regular vocabulary at that point. Especially because it's more of a sticking it to your parents kind of thing. And yeah, and when you're dealing with characters who are clearly trying to stick it to their parents any way they can. Yeah. God. Let's, let's talk about the janitor. Uh, another oh. wonderful character who deserved so much better than what he got. I don't know if there were scenes that were cut from the movie because when, when Ginger says, like, I don't w- like the way he looks at you. It doesn't show that at all. Yeah. It doesn't show any reasoning for her because most of the movie, the janitor has only been nice and helped Bridget, which could be read as a creepy thing I, if you want to, if you really want to, but I, I can't see you yeah, getting I, to that point. I think that's, you know... That's stretching. Yeah. Reaching at this point. Yeah. I, I think that he was genuinely a force for good and he, you know, looked out and even if sometimes when he was helping Ginger or when he was helping Bridget, he didn't really mean to. Sometimes it's good to be a savior on accident. And so, in fact, sometimes that's the best way to be a savior. It was really sad to see that he was, you know, caught in the crossfire. That's, that's yeah. really upsetting. How did you, how did you like Bridget's sort of transformation from mopey teen to Van Helsing? I really liked it. Um, it, it was a slow kind of thing throughout the movie, but it, it very much seemed like it wasn't just we need to stop this evil. It's like I care about my sister and we need to stop this evil before she hurts other people I care about ultimately. I do think there are a lot of movies that show character like hers where they don't want to harm the bad guy. They don't want to harm them for some reason. And usually the reason is killing people's bad, which for audience members doesn't feel like a very good reason. But 
she's my sister and we have a very close uh, a bond that's so strong that i have literally said i'd rather not live without you i think that they do a good job of making their connection so compelling that it feels appropriate that she wouldn't want to kill her outright exactly and she still doesn't it's all uh, an accident in the end which makes it really really tragic yeah because she was she wanted to to help more than anything and she tried she wanted to use the antidote instead of using the knife she had both in her hands and she was like, do you want this? And was like offering the antidote more. And then the only reason why she died, why Ginger died, was because she lunged at the side that had the knife. Yeah. And I think that's really cool metaphorically that Bridget has like life and death in her hands. She basically offers both, at least visually. She's sort of like, you know, which one do you want? Ginger chooses, kind of, I guess. Mm-hmm. There, there's an argument to be made for that. And I think that it's tragic for Bridget's character that she chooses to die. I think that Sam had a good word of wisdom. I think if there was anything, if I were to remake this movie, I would keep in there that Sam specifically says, you have to be okay with the potential that this will free your sister from life. Mm-hmm. Life as a horrifying monster. Because that's something that we don't really consider a lot when we're dealing with like having to kill someone who is a horrifying creature. Sometimes death is better. And I know that that was a, I want to say that's a tagline from the uh, the remake of Pet Cemetery. But like, yeah, sometimes it is better to move on from life than to cling to it in such a way that you are now a perverted version of what life is. And there's a lot of really good philosophical arguments for that backwards and forwards. But I just think that that'd be a cool thing to explore a little bit more of and i'm super glad that that line for sam remained in the film you have to be okay with potentially killing your sister it also showed more amazing acting for bridget's character because you could see her internalizing that those words and really like thinking on it in that moment which was nice to see i don't know if she went out of her way to find jason but it kind of feels like she did it was hard to tell whether she was going out of her way to find him or not uh because she wanted to test it first it looked like she was on her way to the school and just happened upon him yeah this movie does leave a lot of room for there's good arguments for both on a lot of the good talking points here Mm -hmm. this movie does really well i really like the movie i thought you might remember like (laughs) the opening scenes when they're like we have a suicide pact and i'm like maybe this isn't a great movie for her (laughs) (laughs) this is just the movie for me i talk about it every day (laughs) just a dope just a dope I know that uh, that is like a common talking point amongst people our age. I guess it's, it's hard to pin down exactly what it is. You know, the, an open-armed call for people to speak honestly about their uh, mental health. I, I don't know if it's if it's that that's causing a lot of people to want to be more honest about their ideations of suicide. Or if it's more people being suicidal because of, you know, current events and how that affects their, you know, mental health and their, and their well-being. I, I, I can't be certain about it. Maybe completely by accident... This movie sort of had its finger on the pulse of young people. Or it just knew. It was ahead of its time. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Canadian people, because this is a Canadian film, you know, maybe maybe they just they've have been, that, that issue more. Yeah, yeah, I don't fucking know. <laughs> they've been talking about, joking about suicide for longer than we have. And again, like the, the topic of, you know, expressing your suicidal ideations out loud, for most people, it's a 50-50 thing. You're mm-hmm. either saying it as like an aesthetical thing or as like a thing that like you mildly feel just enough to say it out loud, but not enough to actually act on it versus people who are like, I'm saying this because I really feel like I want to do this and I'm reaching out to have you say something. And if that's what you're saying, you know, if you're saying I'm reaching out to have someone do something or say something or help me, I think you should be more forthcoming with that information. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's hard and I get that. But it's it's a it's that's one of the things that I wish this movie 
handled a little bit better. And it's one of the reasons probably why Ginger Snaps won't get a remake for another fucking 20 years. But I think that Ginger Snaps is a movie that's ripe for remaking. Mm-hmm. I think that it could do really, really well. And I'm, I'm as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, it feels a little bit like this movie is kind of trying to talk about like transgender identity issues. You know, with the girl being like, I'm going to cut off this appendage I have that I don't want to have. That feels like a feeling that maybe some transgender individuals might experience. And it would be really well to do for transgender identity and also it would just be a great movie for now because there could be so much that could be done with it very easily and without changing a whole lot to make it better fit current times. Yeah, I, I really feel like this movie was was definitely ahead of its time. You said it already. It, it is 22 years ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say that both of the actresses for this movie went on to have a pretty prolific acting career in uh, Canada um, and sometimes in America as well. They did quite a bit of acting after that and are continuing to do acting to this day. Uh, Ginger did look familiar. She's been in a couple of things. For sure. I'd like to see her in, in more, you know, leading roles. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that this sort of like budget movie was kind of, I guess it's the movie that she's most known for. And that was about 20 years ago for her. Maybe more than 20 years ago, 22 years ago. People are talking a lot right now for whatever fucking reason. This frustrates me to no end that the actor who played in the new Dahmer movie isn't getting enough roles but he literally but he is he's yeah. getting a lot of roles for tv stars and like main characters in tv he's just not getting movie roles well he's gotten some movie roles too yeah he, he's it's, i'm not saying that he hasn't gotten like any he's gotten more tv than he has movies sure he's uh, the most iconic version of quicksilver mm-hmm. and he's so iconic that when wandavision came out they brought him back yeah <laughs> they could have brought back the other guy they brought his version of quicksilver mm-hmm. back <laughs> And for people to be like, you know, oh, he's criminally underrated, criminally under, you know, represented. I don't Um, think he is. I don't agree. I do not agree in the slightest. I think he's right around the corner, maybe in the next year or two, he's going to be some huge big role and everyone's going to be like, ah, see, because I complained about him not getting enough, he was able to get enough. I did it. It was me. Meanwhile, both of those female leads were really good acting. Especially for how uh, young they were. Mm-hmm. That they should be able to continue and should be able to get better roles. 40 is on. so young. Yeah. You know, you can absolutely do a lot of acting after 40. And mm-hmm. it's frustrating that Hollywood and probably movies everywhere, not just in America, but movies everywhere in every nation, are kind of shitty to older women. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying 40 is older, but for some reason movies see 40 as being like cripplingly old. Specifically for women. Only for women. Mm-hmm. Because women have to be a sex icon. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Bruce Willis kept doing acting until yeah. forever. Yeah. He literally had to have a debilitating disease in order, or a disease or a physical ailment. I'm not sure exactly what it is he has, but he basically had to come forward and say, I physically can't act anymore. Yeah. And then he stopped acting. Yeah. And what a tragedy that is for him, but, like, we should treat men and women similarly in this regard, you know. Uh, We were talking about Death Becomes Her and how they're making a remake of Death Becomes Her and, what is it, Isabella Rossellini, probably the greatest sex icon who ever existed, probably one of the greatest models who ever lived. She was in that movie, and I think she was 39 years old when she was in Death Becomes Her. And at that same year, she was told that she was fired from her modeling contract because she'd gotten too old. And so she started her own modeling agency, starring people of 
various different ages and colors and ethnicities and so on and so forth. And it ended up not doing particularly well, unfortunately. But she she went on for a couple of years doing that with the money that she'd saved up from her modeling career and her acting and whatnot. And if you ever get a chance to see Isabella Rossellini in Death Becomes Her, Jesus fucking Christ, that is probably one of the most beautiful women who's ever lived. And, you know, obviously it's not just contained to that one movie. Um, she's been beautiful for forever, apparently. Yeah. She's She was so beautiful that she was able to convince modeling agencies that when she was 20-something years old, I think she was like 25 or 26, maybe 29, I'm not sure, that she was 18. Makes sense. Because that's when modeling agencies are trying to get people on board. Yeah, the most. Really fucked up. And unfortunately, we get to see a little bit of that in Ginger's character. She's 18 years old, and she's sort of the sex icon of the movie. She's 16 years old. No, no, no. She's 18 as an actress. Oh, yeah. She gets all of the sexy shots and the revealing clothing mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bridget's character is, uh, she's wearing the clothes of someone who's hunting werewolves. I'll tell yeah. you that. <laughs> she is ready from the word go in this movie. <laughs> well, they both are until uh, uh, Ginger gets bitten and then she becomes, you know, a sexy sex lady instead of werewolf hunter lady. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Bridget's like, no, we're, we're, we dress like cool werewolf hunters. And she's like, no, I want to dress like sexy lady. <laughs> sort of the, the conflict of the film yeah. <laughs> well hey we've been going on about this for entirely too long is there anything that you want to say before we go anything you felt like any any stone that you felt was unturned i think we got covered all of it Great. one big stone that was left unturned for me was that when bridget finally asks her mother to give her advice about what men want when she's like oh my god hey don't look in the freezer because there's a dead body we stuffed in there probably one of the best scenes in the movie because they use the fact that their parents understand them to be people who take photos of themselves as if they were dead, but not really to cover up the fact that they just murdered someone. Yeah. And her mom's like, well, I'm going to go put this meat in the fridge. And she's like, don't put it in the fridge. I'll put it in the fridge. And as she's still trying to put the meat in the fridge, she says, hey, what do men want? What do boys want? I don't know. And her mom sits her down and talks to her about it. In the scene where she is sitting her down and talking to her about it, and she says, well, that's basically what men want. The immediate transition into that is just to a shot of them sitting on a couch in front of cookies and milk. I'm not saying this movie's about the cookie monster. (laughs) It's ultimately alluding to the ginger snaps. I'm just saying. The ginger snap monster. That one scene. (laughs) I mean, it would have been great if, like, right then, the ginger monster attacked. Just... No, unfortunately, we didn't get any of that. But it felt like that was pretty close. And there's no other cookies in the movie. Yeah, there aren't. All right, all right, all right. We'll call that a day and uh, and, and, and a good watching. I'm so glad we watched this movie. God, I have so much love for this movie in my in my little cold dead heart. It was good to have you on. Great to be here. Yeah, try not to try not to kill yourself. I do it more. Of course.